If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Welcome back to the Dungeon of Doom. Got a good episode this week. I'm excited, Ben. I'm excited. Got a full house tonight. Literally. We're in the basement of my house with basically the entire Lions beat, minus our friend Dave Briquette. Shout out Dave <laughs> for standing us up, I guess. But no, we we have the beat right around table back, something we started last year after the season. And I, I really enjoyed it, Ben. Gave us an opportunity kind of to sit down for 45 minutes or whatever it was and really talk about the Detroit Lions in an in-depth way, which doesn't always happen. I'm excited. We got Full House here. We got Justin Rogers from the Detroit News, Colton Pouncey from The Athletic, Eric Woodard from ESPN. What's up, fellas? What's up? What's up? What's going on? Been in some tight press boxes, fellas. I don't know if I've ever sat this close to the... The group, I'm was cozy. Well, like I said, when you guys arrived, like we just spent, I don't know, six months looking at each other <laughs> and now we're, and now we're oh, and now we're a week into the off season and we're, we're doing it again, <laughs> but appreciate your time. Like I said, I, I mean, I had fun doing this last year. You know, sometimes it can be hard to, to chop this stuff up in a meaningful way. And it's easy to do with you guys. We, we've seen a lot of lines, football on the field, practices, locker room. I mean, has anyone in America seen more, more long? than this guy's in this room right now. It's funny. John Neo, our beloved columnist, once asked me if I knew my record on the beat. And I thought, no, like, that's a terrible question. He knew exactly what his record was covering the team. And he covered the 0-16 season. He's, he had, it, I think, worse than than we did, but it's it's not pretty. And you looked yours up at one point, right? Uh, when the team was one and six, I looked it up, and it was thirty one games under five hundred for my first that. three and a half seasons on the beat. So we're sitting there after that Dolphin game, man. Like knowing your record, a perfect line, and just like sitting there trying to go through it. Those four. Well, and you don't have you can't say shit, man. I've got a winning record. I don't like this. Cole walks in and then immediately has a winning record. Justin, I've been around for like goddamn decade. We have seen a lot of losses, Justin. A lot, a couple of times too. <laughs> Those are the worst ones. Those are worse than the losses. Yeah, last year was crazy though. Like because they didn't even win in the preseason. So I'm like, man, so it is gonna be the whole year. Like you know, it's much better this year. But at least like that year, you went into it and you kind of knew that's what it was gonna be. We went into years where they thought they were going to win, and then you just come out of it and you're like, oh, four and 12. That was, that was fun. Well, I will say they, they went winless in however many games it was last year to open the year, right? And then I got COVID. And I'm sitting at home watching the line from their first game. <laughs> I'm like, man, I've had to go through these locker rooms, the literal tumbleweeds going to the place because there's no one around. 
questions because they can't win a game. They finally win a game, and I'm sitting at home for COVID. <laughs> I, I will say one thing that made them yeah. losing a little bearable, I guess. Yeah. Just like having Dan Ryan every day. Yeah. Like, if he would have been, you know, on a band, it would have made it a lot worse last year. But like, he's pretty much consistent every day, which made it. It didn't make it as bad as it could have possibly been because I've been around some pretty bad coaches in the past. So, well, all of us in this room decided to beat, beat Seth Golan. The first survivors of the Matt Patricia era, man. <laughs> like I said at the top, guys, everyone in this room has seen some stuff, but you know, like, so have all of the fans. And, you know, it's one thing I think that for me, at least personally, makes this job a lot of fun in some twisted way is being a fan of the Lions is different. And by extension, being a reporter covering the Lions is different too. When you're covering a team that hasn't won anything since 1957, hasn't, I mean, just won playoff games since 1957, you could hear it seeped out of the fans, right? Like even the sense of humor is like this, like gallows humor. It's very dark shit, right? And that's where the conduit between the fans and the team. And it really, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, it's definitely unique. I'll put it that way. And I think it's a radio bit, but I'm sure everybody here has got the emails where you, the fans immediately have to announce their credentials, right? I've been watching <laughs> since Briggs Stadium in 1942 and I've seen every quarterback and Bobby Lane used to mow my lawn when he was a kid. <laughs> just, I don't know. That's, that's like part of Lions fandom. I think is you have to announce how long you've suffered. It, I don't know, establishes the level of fandom. We, we've all suffered this team in some way. The team has obviously itself. The, the times these days are good, guys. And, and as we get rolling, I think we should start with Ben Johnson, if we can. You know, the, the Lions rolled this year down the stretch and the offense was, was a huge reason for it, right? And the big news this week is Ben Johnson, the architect of that offense, coming back to Detroit. He was expected to get on a plane today, guys, to go to, to Charlotte for a second interview with Panthers. You know, those kinds of situations, those guys don't often come back. You know, with Dan Campbell two years ago when he got out of plan, he didn't go back. I thought he was going to get a job with, with how in demand he was. You certainly don't expect him to turn down the opportunity to interview for that job. That took me by surprise. I'm curious your guys' reactions when you heard the news coming down this week. Pretty shocked. Honestly, I thought he was gone for sure. That's what you get into the business for as a gig. I hate coaching general, but I think it says a lot about what they're building in Detroit. You know what I mean? Just that he's that confident that they can come back again. And he's that confident that they could possibly be even better. I don't think he can see them taking a step back. So yeah, that's that's always pretty shocking. But I think it's, it's good news for them. Lions followers as well. And hey, Dan Campbell, I mean, you already said how much he, he wanted him back, but he wouldn't hold him back. So I think that's just letting him know that he's building a good staff as well. And I think there, you know, if everything goes as planned, He'll be back in his position next year. Yeah, when you see, what was it, three teams that reach out like immediately the first day they could for Ben Johnson. Like, I guess my mind said, I don't know, man, one of these teams offers like he's got to be gone, right? Especially like the Panthers. He was, yeah. it seemed like he was in some serious talk with them a little bit for, for their little spot there. And he's from North Carolina. So I thought that might be a good fit for him. You know, a team that's probably going to be looking for a quarterback. He can kind of mold that roster in his own vision. So when I heard that, you know, he was coming back, that was, uh, it took me aback a little bit. But at the same time, I think it speaks to, Kind of what Eric said, you know, these guys feel like they're building something in Detroit. They got a young roster, pretty good offense, as we've seen, top five across the board in a lot of areas. And I think you want to see that through. This franchise has been, you know, losers for a long time and they're trying to turn that around and make it sustainable. And I think whether he's here long term or not, like it seems like he's going to pick a coaching job one day, but at least you can keep that trajectory going a little bit more. I'm sure it's great news for Lions fans and great news for Dan Campbell. I share a lot of feelings as well. I think too, though, that, you know, there's 32 of these jobs in the world, right? So like, I just expected Ben Johnson to go for it because these guys always do. And you don't know, like he's got that window. Yeah. They won a bunch of games this year. His offense was hot. 
you've got the window. You don't know what's going to happen next year, what contract situation is going to happen, what injury situation would happen. Down. Exactly. You know, ben, what was your reaction when you heard the news this week on Ben Johnson? Surprised at how it went down. You know, I always kind of had reservations about the idea of him getting a job this offseason, not based on who he is or what he could be, but just, you know, it's a first-time offensive coordinator, a first-time play caller. It would have been quite the jump just to go from that into 2023 with the head coaching job. But the second that report came down that he was flying to Carolina, in-person interview, I mean, yeah, walk-on quarterback at North Carolina is from the state. It was like, oh, this is real. They're, they're trying to get their man to town, yeah. trying to make sure he can't leave that airport, can't leave that area. So it's going down. So very, very fascinating. I wish we'd love to be a fly on the wall in those conversations because it's like, yeah, there's, like you said, Kyle, there's 32 of these. There's 32 of those. Those are big money jobs. That is what you're doing here. And there's not too many people who have had the opportunity to get one of those jobs at his age with his kind of track record of experience. So surprising for sure, but great news for the Lions. So I've got a little bit more of a cynical take there, Braille Sinister. Yeah. I think Ben Johnson knew he wasn't getting a job. I think that he read the tea leaves. I think that the Carolina job was particularly interesting because of all the connections. But I think what we know about David Tepper, their owner, is he's a, maybe the wealthiest owner in the NFL or, or top three. Mm-hmm. He's a swing for the fences type guy. I think he was interested in Ben Johnson, but ultimately a first year coordinator doesn't really move the needle with a guy like that. I think Johnson carefully calculated his offers, realized that probably nothing was coming to fruition and pulled out at the right time where it looks good for him. He went through the process, but then he pull out and say, I'm staying committed to my job. Who announced that? Who put it in that language? The NFL network. And that's a, well, that's a PR arm of the league. I mean, that's what they do is they, they prop up guys like that. Nothing against Ben Johnson. I think that this was the right move for him. I think in, in echoing what Ben said, like he's already so far ahead of the game, just having three interviews as a first-year coordinator, he is on track for one of these jobs. But I think that a lot of these teams that talked to him probably said we'd like to see a little bit more. Question I always go back to is with Terrell Austin, right? The staffing was the big problem for Austin when he was going through those interview cycles. He didn't have a good staff in place. And I think that hurt him when he was at his hottest. When we tried to ask him, Ben Johnson, you know, some questions about hmm. his potential candidacy, he, he clearly shut us down respect it. But that would probably be my biggest question was what was Johnson's staffing plan with with these guys? Because I think that can really hurt a candidacy. But I don't think there was any serious movement towards an offer and everybody saves positive face and he can go back to this well again next year with a better resume Mm -hmm. if they're able to repeat the nine and eight success that they had or build on the nine and eight success they had this year. Justin, you really you drove at something that is interesting to me. It's you know, the insider baseball of how this stuff is done. I'm not sure how many fans, how many people realize it sometimes, but when this report comes down from the NFL Network, Tom Pelissero, who did a good job for them, but it's easy to tell if you're in this business where this information is coming from. The tweet itself, reporting this news, says Ben Johnson feels Detroit is building something special and wants to see it through. Sure. I think that's all true. I think that's yeah. a small wedge of, of the pie that we're dealing with. Yeah. And I wrote with that today in my column. I, I'm sure that's part of it. I'm sure it's only part of it, right? And there could be something about the Panthers job that he didn't like. I know that Tepper is a heavy-handed owner in terms of, you know, how meddlesome some of the owners are. There's an unknown quarterback situation, which is a big deal for an offensive, well, for any head coach, but particularly one that's coming in to put his offense in. But I think bottom line, no matter... Some of these unknown variables that, that that we don't know. I do think him coming back speaks to the strength of the organization in a way that we haven't seen before, right? Like the situation in Detroit is so good, for lack of a better word, but maybe stable, health, healthy. Like he, like he's going back to a good situation with a quarterback who's playing well that he already has a good relationship with. Basically, everyone's back. Edged all Williams, and he might be back anyway. But most of the guys are locked up. Got two first round picks, five 
picks in the first three rounds. It's a great situation. He's going to have a very good chance to come back and look good doing that. And I think that him coming back more than anything to me, I, I'm sure there's more variables at play than what we already know publicly. But to me, the bottom line, it really does speak to the culture and the thing that they've built in Detroit and how sound that thing is. I mean, just the fact that the Lions have two coordinators that are interviewing for jobs just kind of speaks to the health, kind of mm -hmm. what you mentioned. So I don't see that as a negative. And for these guys, like we can go out there and get the experience, whether you were a serious candidate or not, it's going to help you in the long run, especially for a guy like Ben Johnson, who only one year as a coordinator, but the trajectory he's on, you can tell that he's going to be a head coach one day if the offense keeps up what they've been doing. So. It's not a bad thing to kind of learn another year under Dan Campbell. Another question I just had with Johnson is it's more like we just haven't seen it. Being a head coach is so much more than like calling a hooking ladder on third down. <laughs> you know? It's like building a roster. It's managing egos and personalities and, and making the tough decisions in games. So, you know, Johnson's got it down as a play caller and as a guy that can craft an offense around his personnel. But the other decisions and the other things that go into being the head coach, we just don't know about. So that's something that he's probably going to have to convince teams of in the interview process. So if he's getting that experience now, Let's pray for him. What do you guys think makes Ben Johnson so good in his job? I think he personally seemed like he's pretty easy to get along with. I don't since he got like a super big ego. Yeah. And you kind of see that, like, that's probably why he meshes with Jared Goff so well. So it's, it seems like Jared's personality is a lot like that. Yeah. Where, you know, you look at, you know, somebody else who might be a little more rah rah and might not go along with, with Jared Goff. So I think, I think that personality aspect is huge in connecting with players. And, you know, when you got a guy like that that's dialed up all the time, you got to have somebody to coming there smooth out. I think what's interesting about Ben is he's not rooted in one offensive system. You know, he's got these these different roots with different coordinators that ran different schemes, and yet he's somehow, we hear multiple defenses all the time, and we understand what that means because there's a lot of them in the NFL. We don't see multiple offenses very often, and, and that's kind of what the Lions were. They were flexible enough to match different types of opponents with different styles of, of football and, you know, Johnson gets a lot of credit for being creative. And, you know, I asked him about that this preseason before the season started. And he said, well, creativity is not really a thing. He goes, all these plays existed in some way, shape or form. We're all borrowing and modifying from each other. He said, the art of play calling is the timing of the play, right? It's knowing when to call that play so that it will work. And, and he clearly has a really good knack for that. And what he's done is he's conveyed that to Jared, right? They've got this symbiotic relationship that Eric was talking about. Jared said something late in the season that Ben had conveyed early in the season that he wanted. Like, he wants Jared to understand the why for every play. At the end of the season, Jared said, like, every time he calls something, I know exactly why he's doing it. And I think that is really, really huge to have that quarterback-coach relationship of knowing why you're doing it what the vision is against which defenses and situations that that leads to, I think, the consistent success that that he saw when the roster was relatively healthy. I think he's really good at putting a, you know, we hear a lot about square peg, round hole kind of thing, right? Especially with Matt Patricia and all those things that we went through during the previous regime. I think Ben Johnson is really good at putting, you know, square pegs in the square holes. Like he, he did a great job of, of identifying his own strengths and weaknesses of his offense and of the defense and matching up accordingly. I think he does a great job of knowing his own players and how to put them in positions to succeed. When we were in New York for that Jets game, I mean, it was obvious that it was like Amon Ross and Brown was the game plan that day, right? But, and like he touched the ball and like lining up four, in four different parts of the, of the offense in that first two drives or so, right? Getting your best players to make their best plays. Look at the way he uses Panay. I think that's maybe some of the best, most creative stuff that he's done to Justin's point. And like how creative is it to use an offensive tackle split out at receiver and tight end? It's it's pretty creative. I mean, we've seen it before, but like he's just taking a super athletic 330 pound man and putting them in positions to succeed. And I think it, 
it's good work. I mean, it's, it just makes it look almost easy sometimes, right? I mean, they went through some lulls when there was injuries and whatnot, but when they're healthy, they have rules more, more often than not. And I think that just identifying the strengths and weaknesses and putting them on each other went a long way because obviously his work with Jared Goff, right? That, that's been his biggest successes in Detroit. And hearing Jared talk repeatedly about some of those sessions that they had last off season where they talked about ball and they watched ball and they watched film and they watched Goff's film and they watched film of some of their opponents and just getting an idea of from Ben Johnson about what his quarterback was about, what he liked, what he didn't like, what made him feel uncomfortable, how to address some of those things, how to avoid some of those things, and then designing a playbook accordingly. Golf had never had that before. Sean McVay had a system and they put it in largely and, and, and golf was expected to run it. And in Detroit, it was more of a symbiotic relationship. And I think it brought out the best in Jared Goff. Yeah. And we haven't seen him play like that in a long time. No. Ben's ability as a communicator and to convey a message and just kind of get everybody on the same page is really sticks out. I remember training camp, it was Hawkinson, it was Ragnar, it was Jared, it was Decker, just his ability to not just relate with them, to be, kind of communicate with them to where it was just kind of like a seamless transition. I think he and Jared speak the same language. Like it's, it's really easy to sit back there and be a creative play caller, but it's another thing to have everybody on the same page and understanding it. Ben Johnson on one hand has got his guys kind of responding like that. I just picture the, the anti of that, like Jimbo Fisher flipping through his like 32 page call sheet, you know, just Ben Johnson. It's like streamlined. It's communicated. Everybody just feels on the same page. I mean, Everybody will call him a genius, but everybody like Franks, he's just relatable. He's got a youthful relatability to him. And I just think he, he speaks the same language and he knows how to get on the same page with everybody. I mean, he's a quarterback whisperer with what he's done with golf. I remember watching Scott Linehan when he was here, he would do the same setup for a play like three or four different ways. And he was trying to lull you into not seeing something that he was going to do different with it the third or fourth time he did it. I think a lot of mid corners of the, and you see that a lot yeah. with, with Ben, you just the, the Penny Sewell kind of, you're talking about. Like before they threw it to Panay, they put in motion yeah. what two times before that, right? Like yeah, at some point, like yeah, you you've you've fooled them into a false sense of security of like that motion isn't that thing that you're gonna do eventually. And and Ben does that a lot. Yeah. Like it's once a game, like the things that he's doing throughout the game is setting something up mm-hmm. at the end of the game. And you know, that's just another you see that with good coordinators frequently. I think it was last year, but the game with Amon Ross St. Brown, where he kept coming around on the end around, and it was eye candy. And then at the end of the game, they popped him with it. I remember Amon Ross telling us, like, by the time they saw what was happening, like, they couldn't do shit about it. And that's literally, like, he's like, I'm like, I'm they say, like, oh, Defender said, oh, shit, or something. It's like, yeah, but the sequencing of his plays is, like, really impressive. I, I don't know what game it was, but they were, I think, inside the 30 or the 20, and they're doing, like, a toss to the left. And they come back a few plays later and Goff does that little fake toss and yeah. then strikes it for a touchdown. Like it's the eye candy, it's the sequencing of plays, trying to convince them that you're doing one thing and come back with another. I think Ben Johnson's really good at that. I think that's a product of the detail and, you know, the time like that he spends on the game plan. I really love hearing him talk about that stuff. Like, yeah, we found something on like a Thursday night that we kind of put in at the last minute or like a Saturday night right before the game. We like that. So if we got the look, we were going to run it. Like hearing stuff like that and kind of the, the detail of it, I think that shows that Johnson knows what he's doing with his offense and he's, they're in pretty good hands with him. Swift told me that hook and ladder that we talked about that week. I mean, it went in that week. It was yeah. something they did not yeah. practiced at any point during the season or, or anything. He's like, yeah, we practiced it a couple of times that week and just the moment was right. Well, I talked to Jared about that play and Jared's like, when they practiced it, the defense was off. Yeah, and when they lined up, and they can't be, you were playing press fans. So it was like, Jared's like, 
I knew I had to get the ball to him extremely quick yeah. because the guy was going to be on top of him. If you w- I watched the play back after talking to him, I could see what yeah, it's, it's remarkable that he got that, <laughs> the, the pitch off when he did. The best part of the play, though, right? It's Panay Solo getting his high horse in the open field really? and completely <laughs> annihilating the defensive. <laughs> ben and I were standing over, I don't know how far, like 10 yards away from that play. The thing is, like, when you watch the copy, right, like you have an appreciation for, for Panay Sewell. But watching him in person, like we have the, the privilege of doing and, and standing 10 yards away while he's taking out Jeff Okuda at that practice. Like what he does at his size, it, I, I just have not seen it with my own eyes. I was talking to Lomas Brown before the season. And Lomas, who was an all-pro, borderline Hall of Fame kind of player, he said that Panay was already better than him. He said the difference was the mobility. The way he can run, the way he carries 330 pounds, it, it's just it's singular. It doesn't, yeah, I mean, you just don't see it. Crazy young athletes in every sport, right? Like they just keep getting better mm-hmm. and they keep getting bigger and stronger. And I mean, we just see it generation to generation, whether it's the NBA or the NFL, like they're just better. And it's, it's just wild just to watch that development, to think that 15 years from now, like Penesa will be saying, well, Lomas Brown saying like that kid's better than <laughs> What does that look like? Kyle, do you remember who and Dominican Sue said should be better than him someday? It was, no. it was like a long defensive tackle. And he's like. This guy should be better than me. Well, yeah. that, that didn't happen. So the excitement is building and, and understandably so, right? Because you got Ben Johnson back. You've got basically everyone else back to Jamal Williams is, I think, the, the big question mark on offense. Him and, and DJ Chart. In terms of the NFL, that's a lot of stability. And you have an offense that was top five, top 10, and basically all the ways this year. I, I, I guess as we look forward, what's the next step, do you guys think, for that offense? I think about that because the excitement is so high. Jared Goff, who just saw basically a career season, some of his numbers were better in LA, but even he said that, that he was probably was playing some of the best ball of his career. But I guess, how do you avoid a regression? Like, like it's the NFL. You've got to evolve and you have to mature or the league catches up to you. I guess as you look forward, guys, where do you see room for improvement? What do you expect the Lions try to do going forward? I think consistency, you know, with DeAndre Swift, you know, I think, you know, we all see the talent we see is there. I know, you know, holders have gotten way, but I think him showing on that, that dynamic ability that we know he had doing it more consistent. I think that'll really take this team to the next level. Cause I mean, we, we, oh, we, can, we know he can do these healthy, but it's just like, and we know that Jamal Williams has been that goal line threat, but you know, they putting up numbers as a unit, but I think just having that guy who can break free consistently, I think that that's one thing for this offense. And I think just getting this with that deep ball. I know what the numbers and the stats say with Jericho, but we watched him. He's been a little off with those deep balls this year. So I think really putting time, and I think that's why they got Jamison coming in a full year, yeah. getting in sync with him. So I think if those two guys can be consistent, I think that's going to take this, this offense all the way to the next level. We know what I'm, I'm Ross St. Brown going to do. He's as reliable as anybody on this team. So I think if they can get those two aspects on the track, this team is already dangerous offense, but it's going to be even scarier if they can somehow keep Swift healthy. Yeah. What do you think? I guess what, what Eric said, I mean, the deep ball, what James can bring to the table, because even when their moments when Chark wasn't playing, like when he was on IR, when he was injured, they were definitely missing that element of their offense wasn't there. So I think having Ben Johnson back to mold Jameson Williams to the player that he wants him to be is that, I mean, that's, I'm intrigued to see what he does next year. I think the Brad Holmes that said at his press conference, like we haven't even seen what he's going to be in the future yet, like, which is fair. So if he can get the most out of Jameson, Jameson's putting the work this off season. I think Goff already said he's going to try to get him together and throw with him a little bit. That can unlock a different level of this offense. I do kind of wonder you know, what's the, the ceiling with this running game? Because Swift just hasn't proven that he can be a lead back in the NFL and stay healthy. Yeah. Jamal's a really good back, a really good number two. 
rushed for a thousand yards and 17 touchdowns, a damn good season. But I wonder what his market will look like. You know, he, I know you already said he wants to come back, but he's getting up there a little bit. So I wonder if they can draft a younger running back that yeah. can maybe take advantage of those second level yards and stay healthy. And I think that might be another thing that can unlock this offense and take to the next level and maybe limit some regression, especially if they lose some guys like DJ or, or Jamal. Yeah. No, it's it's what both of you said. It's the consistency of what they did in those final nine games and trying to maintain that. And then it's getting Goff and Jameson on the same page because it's like they had some missed moments. Jameson had some struggles catching the ball. Goff missed him deep in New York, I believe. They had the one called back in Green Bay. I mean, the offense looked pretty good during that stretch. You had those plays in there, and that thing's that's at another level right there. But yeah, what you said with the running game, I think Swift's in the final year of his contract struggled, struggled to do anything after. I mean, he basically just gets shut down every time he touches the ball 15, 16 times, it seems like. So there's a big question mark there. The talent's there for sure. But like Williams is a free agent. Swift has got one year deal left. I mean, you got to, with that offensive line, you don't want to waste a second. You need talent back there. I know what people say about drafting running backs in the first round, but they do need a little infusion of talent back there for sure. I mean, I look at what the Jets and Seahawks did in the second round, getting Kenneth Walker yeah. and Bruce Hall. I think the Jets had Michael Carter and Richard Penny was with the Seahawks and both those rookies look great when they played. So, I mean, that's a way to maximize it. If you can get a running back in the second, third round, it's a yeah. pretty deep class. I don't want to get too far into the draft. <laughs> it's not clear, but I'm just saying, that, that could be something that's no, awesome, yeah. For yeah. sure. I, I had some time to look up some numbers just to kind of confirm. But one, I was surprised the Lions averaged 4.5 yards per carry this year. It's really, really good. But you look at seven of the final 11 games as a team, 110 yards or less rushing. So I, I think they need more consistency on the ground. We already know Goff is a phenomenal play action quarterback, but you're having success on the ground that opens that element up. No, I, I look at the right guard spot as, as kind of an important yeah. way to get that going. Fraley, the, the offensive line coach frequently says like you're, you're a fist, right? As offensive line, it's thigh fingers making a fist and you're, you're only as strong as your weakest link. And Right guard, Evan Brown filled it admirably, but like played a lot better at center than he did at right guard. I think they really need to address that spot, get that run game to be more consistent. It's not even just the deep ball with JML. Like that guy just needs to get on the same page with his quarterback. The quarterback needs to get the same page with him. I'm not going to judge the kid until he gives a full offseason, a full training camp with everything, but like they need those shallow crossers that he can turn from five to yeah. 60. They need the deep ball. They need all that, especially if Chark's not going to be back. Like they need JMO to be ready to step up immediately. I mean, it's crazy, though, just the flashes that we saw with him. You know, he could have easily had three touchdowns, literally. Four touchdowns. Just yep. Like, yep. Exciting to see a good kid in the future. Like, it really is. I haven't really been anybody with swag. Like, there's an aura. Yeah, it's a Barry, as great as Barry was and as, as great as Calvin was, they didn't have that, like, swag to him. Like, yeah, I mean, they did, but they didn't. I they hand see. the ball to the, the official in the end zone. Yeah, yeah. They, 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 guys, if that makes sense, Jamal got his swag. He coming in with his chain with his, got his little He just got a whole other swag to him. It's just like, I can't remember the last guy in Detroit that kind of like had it. So I, I just come and see him play. It's, it's exciting to see a young guy like that. Come up. Obviously, the expectations for Jameson were enormous, right? And I think that that week he came back to practice and people are just losing their minds. And we're watching him at practice just not doing anything. I mean, he's the last guy in the receiver line. He's dropping balls. I mean, as his help, but like unrefined in every other way. Ben and I did a podcast week that, that week and said, like, we don't even think he's going to play. I mean, yeah. like with this little amount of practice time, how much time he's missed. The significance of the injury he's coming off of, the fact that they're like climbing back into this thing and then the reps matter in the game. And of course, they did activate him for that game after Thanksgiving, whatever game that was. And then you saw general reality, which was a, a kid who's just not ready. I mean, he played Auburn Ray Stamps. So, what was that? So, one catch and nine targets. Like, see that, that's notable. 
right? And that, so that, that's where I'm going with that, Justin, is the, the obviously the abilities there, the speed is there. It's possible that no one has ever been faster than that guy in Honolulu Blue ever. It, it's crazy, but you know what? We're on the indoor practice facility. We're looking down. It, like, you, you, they can have no numbers on the jersey. And like, okay, that's J-Mo. And he would just stand out. Like, the athleticism is crazy. But there were struggles in the field, lack of chemistry with golf. I think there were some like missed assignments. I don't think there's a lot of consistency with his route running, which leads to inaccuracies with the quarterback because he's not always in the spot that he's supposed to be in. I mean, that's what makes Amon Ross so good and so reliable for Jared Goff, right? Like Jared knows exactly where he's going to be and when. They don't have that relationship yet with, with Jameson. And it's understandable because he was deprived of all the development opportunities these guys usually have, right? So I guess my question on the JMO subject for you guys is like, where's your level of concern with JMO? I think it's low for all of us, but I do think that there are some things that are, that are obvious that he needs to correct. And I asked Brad Holmes about that in his press conference, right? Like, Organizationally speaking, like what's the plan for JMO? Because it's very clear that guy has a long way to go before he's the guy everyone wants him to be next year. Like I said, I want to see this kid for a full offseason program. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to see how, you know, what was the home set? Like we're going to give him a plan in the offseason and it's up to him to to fulfill it, right? Like, is he going to go work out with Jared in California? You know, who's he going to train with? And, you know, what is, what is mini camp and OTAs and training camp look like? Because you're right. The, the route running wasn't there. The, it's almost like uh, he doesn't have full, he can't harness his speed, right? Like it's only zero or 60. Like there's no in between for him. And it's, it's finding the nuances of when to come back for the ball, when to just on a crossing route, you know, it, it can't be all deep balls or it's not worth where he was drafted, right? You want to see more of the Tyreek Hill element to his game where he can do a lot of different things in Christian with the deep ball. And, you know, all we've seen so far is is the deep ball and the end around, which is is getting the ball in his hands. I think my biggest level of concern is the fit with the quarterback. You know, Jared Goff, even at his best this season, is not the elite Killia downfield thrower. And, you know, we, we kind of saw that with J-Mo. And I mean, the thing about Goff is he's at his best when stuff's going to script, when stuff's going to plan and like J-Mo's route running, their chemistry plays into that. I mean, that that's where my level of concern is. If, if maybe they get their chemistry up, I mean, can it still be a fit between those two? Can Goff make those throws? I mean, J-Mo's somebody that can get downfield 45, 50 yards in a hurry. Can Goff be the guy to put him that ball there? So it that, that's on JMO. That's on golf. I just think he needs to be, be a little patient. You know, yeah. he, he's a rookie who didn't make his debut until what was it? Week 13. Yeah. I can't remember. Yeah. Sometime in December. And I mean, that's to be expected. I, I remember, you know, Nick Bongard told me that the coaches kind of had to reel him back in like training camp or maybe OTAs because he wanted to be out there. And it's like, bro, you're until January. Like, you gotta take it slow, man. And so I think patience is his best friend. I, you know, obviously he was kind of frustrated at the end of the season about his lack of opportunities, but you put in the work, they're going to put you on the field. I think that's what Dan Campbell's proven throughout his tenure. Like we've seen guys like John Kaminsky, like Isaiah Bugs, like work themselves into the lineup just because some, some of it out of opportunity, but some of it out of, you know, guys just proving themselves and pretty incapable of being in the rotation. So JMO, they have big plans for him. I think he knows that it's just a matter of being patient and putting the work and taking your time. You'll fly to California with golf, hopefully, <laughs> and, you know, get some experience with those deep balls. Cause I think, and I'm not one of those guys that thinks golf cannot throw the ball deep. Like he did it in LA. Yeah. I think he didn't have the weapons in his first year in Detroit. And now he's got some more. So you give him the time and you put in the work with him. I think they'll be fine. And so I think it's just a matter of just being patient and you know, knowing you're on the right track. It's almost like he's got to trust himself yeah. to throw it five yards further than he normally right. would yeah. because right. that kid will get there. Yeah. Don't worry about it. You think it needs to be 50? Throw it 60. Yeah. He'll be there. Don't worry about right it. Right underneath it. Nope. Yeah. I would say my concern is not really football really. And in certain systems, like, you know how receivers are, man. Right? Prima donnas. 
And I think he he kind of like that was a bad side to the swag. <laughs> yeah, it's the bad side to the swag. Good and it's bad. Like constantly talking about culture, culture, culture. He's probably like the only guy that doesn't fit their hard work. I get that just talking to him. He doesn't have the character profile of a Panay Sewell or an Amon Rasse Browder. Like or Rodriguez or like him and Amon Ra. Like you want so badly for him to latch on to Amon Ra and beat off of whatever that guy's projecting. We just don't know if that'll develop that way. I did ask Jared Goff at his locker when he was cleaning it out after the season about the throwing sessions with Jameson and their other receivers. He basically laughed in my face. That I think is because I think he's tired of hearing about, hey, are you throwing off season, guys? Because it's a question you get a lot. Yeah. And I know that it was, it became like a little thing last in the in training camp last year when it came out that he had forgotten to invite Trinity Benson to the throwing <laughs> session. There was a lot for it. So speaking of Jared Goff, we got double Jared Goff. Played very well. That's that's objective, right? Like we could, we're all on the same page that he played beyond expectation, beyond reasonable expectation. I mean, really even going back to the second half of 2021, after the, the change of play caller, Ben Johnson got more involved. Things got better and things were very good last year in basically all the ways. His passer rating was sandwiched between Josh Allen and Joe Burrow. You can win with Josh Allen, you can win with Joe Burrow, and you can win with Jared Goff. Rams did, the Lions did down the stretch this year. He's pretty clearly quarterback one going forward for at least 2023 based on the production, the tea leaves, what the coaches are outright telling us. I mean, everything points to him being the guy for, for this year. I guess, how do you how do you guys view the long-term situation of quarterback? Where do you stand going into the draft on the quarterback situation? Is, is Goff your guy and you just want to build around him? all out, particularly in this year where you can push for a division title or is quarterback on the table for you guys. I think it's an interesting debate. People can, I think, disagree on this and and, and have good points. And there's just a broad spectrum of opinion on this topic. I'm curious to hear where you guys stand. I don't think it matters what we think. I think it matters what we think Brad Holmes thinks. I think Brad Holmes pretty pretty all in on Goff. I can't definitively say that, but I've never got any vibes from him otherwise. And so, you know, there's two years left on the contract that gives you leeway to kind of keep coasting along with what you do have. I don't I don't think you're you're pressed into anything now, but you know, they're clearly at a, a turning point in their rebuild where there's an opportunity to win divisions and win playoff games. And I think you can add an impact player at six that doesn't need to be quarterback. I know a lot of people or there's a segment of people that, you know, thinks that you need to pers- always be suing the 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 Allen or the Mahomes of the future, but it's just so, so hard to find that guy. I couldn't come up with the right words to describe it. And Holmes says it perfectly at his, his end of your presser, right? It's so much easier to get worse quarterback. And I think the one thing that is maybe a little condescending to say about Jared Goff, but I, I, I don't think he would deal well mentally, emotionally with the Lions drafting a quarterback early with the idea that like you draft that guy, that's your replacement, right? I think Goff would react more like Aaron Rodgers with Jordan Love than Alex Smith with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like, I think he would take it personally. I think he could infiltrate how he affects his his play, his mentality. And I don't think the Lions are in a position where they want to rock the boat. And and I, I don't think it's just that. I think they genuinely believe in this guy. Yeah, brought up Holmes and, and Alex Smith. I guess for me, it's like the Lions aren't even where the Chiefs were when they made that decision. Like, the Chiefs were in the playoffs, like, for years. And... We're getting bounced in the first round before they even had to make a decision to determine that Alex Smith was not their guy. So for me, it's like you have a quarterback that's playing well in your system. You get Ben Johnson back. Like you say, you want to compete for the NFC North next year. Do what you can to make that happen. And I think the biggest you know issue we've seen is that defense. You know, you got to get some talent. So if you use your first two firsts on on a couple of defenders, maybe one of those second round picks, and you spend wisely in free agency, like you can turn that defense around in a hurry. And I think Aaron Glenn wants sort of that talent to work with that he hasn't had in, in, in past years. And I think for me, it's like get to the playoffs first, 
let's see how golf performs in the playoffs. And then maybe down the road, if you, you know, he's got two years left in his deal, right? Like you can determine then if he's your long-term guy or not, if you want to re-sign him, that money might be a little bit higher next time you have to yeah. pay him, but that, that might be a factor too. But to me, it's like build up your roster first before you have to, you know, make that decision, I guess. That was so pedestrian too, that, that you know, they drafted Mahomes. Yeah. 15 touchdowns, nine picks, like just, you know, was very average quarterback. Flacco mm-hmm. clearly was on the downside when they went Lamar Jackson. Like Eric Goff just had one of his best seasons ever. Borderline and he's double. young, like fits your system. I I just think that it's all points to this is Jared Goff's team for the long term. Yeah, it's at the point now where I'd be, it's like, he's going to play out that contract. That's what my mind tells me. He's going to be the starting quarterback for that contract. But it's like, you start looking at, it's pretty bare bones behind him. I mean, it's Nate Sutfield and that's, that's it. And Goff's off the books. Is Josh Dobbs still here? Yeah, no, he's almost starting playoff games for the Titans somehow. So, so I just think it, it's a, they haven't drafted a quarterback since what, 2016? Brad Kaya in 2017. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I just think it would, it would send a message. And what Justin said about golf being the wrong guy for that type of passing of the torch, I fully believe in. So I think quarterback should be on the board. It should be on the table, especially with five picks projected in the first 91, 92 selections. But don't do it with one of the first-round picks, I don't think. I, I think stay away from that. Build that defense, like Colton said, because you've seen that Goff can win with this offense. You've, you've kind of built a system around him this year, and he performed well in it. I mean, nine wins, nine and eight on the cusp of the postseason. Build that defense out a little more. Give him a shot. See what he's got. Like you said, you know, the, I think that Chiefs Alex Smith-Mahomes one is really, you can see it kind of teetering in that direction. It is what it kind of feels like. So it's like, it, it's flexibility. That's what we talked about last week. It's flexibility at the quarterback position, and that's the best thing that Goff has really given them with this good play. That is where I stand. I, I think it goes both ways, and I think I put more into the Lions drafting a quarterback than a lot of people these days, just getting on what Goff has played and, and their public statements about him. Man, draft at six, to be clear. Anywhere, depending on the evaluation, and that is the point that I've been making, is for me, Jared Goff's emergence, reemergence, it gives the Lions flexibility, I think, that no one expects them to have at this point. We, I think at this point, we all expect them to be drafting a quarterback to use one of these resources they got. It's not for trade to go replace Matthew Stafford, and instead, in that trade, they got a quarterback right now who's playing better than Matthew Stafford, who, of course, was hurt much of the year, but most of the other quarterbacks in the league as well. So he's giving you, he's, he bought you time to make a decision to let this thing play out, to build the rest of the roster in a way you he didn't expect at the at the at the four of this whole thing, but teams that draft the right quarterback, the right quarterback can take you from good to great. Mm-hmm. It can take you from a competitor to where the Kansas City Chiefs are, and of course, the Kansas City Chiefs are where they are because Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes is singular. There's one; he's one of one. So finding a guy like that inherently is extremely difficult. And I think if the Lions. Don't see somebody they believe in in this draft. Build out the rest of the roster. You don't have to make that decision right now. That's the flexibility Jared Goff has given you. But if you're sitting there at six and you believe in a guy or 18, you believe in a guy who's there that you can build around for the future, I think I think you pull the trigger. I think the the, the position is, is is too important. And drafting a guy to compete with Goff gives you even more flexibility going forward. And if the guy works out, great. And if he doesn't, you still have Jared Goff. Jared Goff's contract is flexible enough financially that you can get out whenever you want to. It, it opens up the world to you, I think, going forward. It's such a conundrum for Brett Holmes and his wife's paid what he's paid, right? You draft the wrong quarterback, it costs you your job. You don't draft the quarterback at all and Goff regresses. It could cost you your job. Like, it's such a job-defining decision, right? I think there is a difference between drafting a quarterback in the first round that you are inherently saying this is an heir apparent versus drafting even early in the second round. Now you're drafting 
the equivalent of Jimmy Garoppolo for Tom Brady. You're drafting a high-end developmental backup that can fill in an injury and possibly become trade bait later. You know, maybe maybe be the starter if something doesn't work out contractually versus like you draft a guy at six. The expectation is that's your starter. If it doesn't work out, what did you pass on at six that could have helped your defense, that could have helped take you to the playoffs? And, and you know, you're, you're not filling a hole with a young, cheap player. You're now filling it with a backup quarterback that maybe never plays. Like, you know, I, I think the Packers, in hindsight, with the Jordan Love situation, like, what if they had drafted a wide receiver or, you know, a, a missing piece? Could that have been the piece that kept them from getting Aaron Rodgers to another Super Bowl? I, you know, I, Lions are one step behind that. Obviously, they're trying to get to the playoffs. But still, like, if you take over back that early, are you taking yourself out of advancing your organization for a piece that may never matter? The Jordan Love pick didn't work out. Yeah, the Aaron Rodgers pick gave them 18 more years of competitiveness. So that's the decision you're making. Don't you think there's a lot more Jordan Love picks than Aaron Rodgers picks or Patrick Mahomes? Like, I think Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers are samples we use a lot or Lamar Jackson, but like, what is the success rate of quarterbacks? I think it's it's below 50 even in the first round. Yeah. And, and, and that, that underscored that point. That's right. I said. It, it, it's a difficult position to scout, to evaluate, to project. Again, going to Holmes, I, I was I had the same reaction you did, Justin, where it was like, I had written entire columns trying to say the thing that he said in one sentence, which yes. is, you know, it's easier to get worse in that position than it is to get better. It's a, it's a, it's a great line. Uh, you can't do it. Let's come back. I do the last from David Lyle to Boyle. Like, you can't. You got to do something to have like something, anything happen. You yeah. Get, first year golf was there. You had to, you know, you had to have boy in and fill in. And we saw how that worked out. So something has to be done. And I mean, that was definitely not right. You can't come back like that again this year. I think there's definitely value in drafting guy. Yeah. Ben and I have talked about some guys we like in the the middle rounds in, in terms of, of Hooker or BYU. Yeah, like, Jaron Hole. Like yeah. there are guys, I think, that fit that mold that give you some stability and give you maybe a high upside guy that you can develop. But like, it's the other thing too, like, Patrick Mahomes said he had Andy Reid. Yeah. Like, I know we could talk about Ben Johnson being the guy, but where Ben Johnson bounces? Is Mark Brunel going to be the guy that takes <laughs> your, I mean, this is a guy that was coaching high school before he came here. Yeah. And look at, I, I don't know how much Brunel had to do with Jared Goff's success. I don't want to totally diminish that, but I, I don't know that he's capable of taking a high-level prospect, a CJ Stroud or a Levis and, and turning him into Josh Allen. Like, I just... I don't know that, and I feel like that just is another layer of uncertainty that gives me pause with that discussion. It's always a risk when you take a quarterback in the first round, or like, I guess anywhere, like the success rate is obviously much higher in the first round, but it's still a risk because you don't know. And I think so much of quarterback success has to do with situation, with coaching, with the plan in place for young quarterbacks. A lot of teams just say, all right, you're our guy. Let's see how you do. There's the Justin Fields in year one. That was a disaster, you know? So I think just based on where the lines are at, like, it's hard to come up with a healthier system for a young quarterback to come in and kind of sit for a year and then maybe take the reins in year two or year three than what the Lions currently have in place. And I know we don't know if Ben Johnson will be around beyond 2023, but same time, like I'm sure Dan Kimball feels pretty good about the offensive plan that they have, whether Johnson was going to be here or not. So if you get a guy in here with this offense, behind this offensive line, with the young receivers they have, with the the running game they have, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty damn good situation. But at the same time, I totally understand going defense, defense with those two first-round picks when you feel you have a chance to be competitive and make the playoffs and compete in the NFC North. Because these teams around them do not look good. And the Bears are still building. Rodgers going on McAfee every damn day. It's saying, I don't know if I'm coming back or not. Like, and the Vikings had a... I mean, the Vikings are what they are. <laughs> Man, that fourth-down pass. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know what that reminded me of? That fourth-down pass by Cousins. Like, the game's like a three-yard pass. 
whatever. It reminded me of 2021. Maybe it was Stafford too, man. Like Jim Bob Cooter's offense. That was three quarters of the playbook, I think. Let's flip it around to the defense. Colton, you just brought it up. And uh, I think we, I mean, hey, they, you read home, said it right in his press conference. Like that. He answered very directly, like he, he was asked, where do you need to improve the roster the most? And he was pretty candid in that it's the defense. I mean, just look at it. You love the most yards in the league. They've finished in the bottom fives every year since uh, Patricia's first year in 2018. It's, yeah, it's been a long time since we've seen even even bottom third, like a defense from this team. It, it, it's been, guys, we've we've seen a lot. <laughs> we've seen a lot of bad ball. So as, they, as we look forward, I mean, Aaron Glenn, the defensive coordinator, has a lot of credibility, right? And a lot of love in Detroit. I think we can understand why they they back him, why Dan Campbell still backs him, even with some of the numbers the way they are. I mean, hey, Aaron Glenn is interviewing for the head job in Arizona. He already interviewed for the job in Indianapolis. His reputation precedes himself, right? In this game, he's he's well-respected, particularly for his relationships with his players, players' player development. And we did see last year, despite some deep, deep issues in the first half of the season, some tremendous gains in, in the second half. He he figured out solutions. And I don't know how much by replacement was this like fantasy of everything that was going on in the first half, but they pushed the right buttons to get the most out of the, the, the players they had. I think we do see some obvious personnel issues that will be addressed in the draft. But besides that, I guess, or in addition to that, what do you guys see as... What do the Lions need going forward to play, let's say, competent football, defensive football in 2023? Man, starts for you with a dominant defensive tackle. I know, talk about Patrick Mahomes, like, you're not going to just go out there and find your Donald. Like, I know it's a convenient thing to say, but, like, you need to find a high-caliber, three-down defensive tackle that can control the middle of the field, can create havoc on the pocket in passing situations, and they, they just haven't had that guy for so long since Sue, really, right? And so I know they've probably fallen out of the range where Jalen Carter's available, probably the most obvious answer in this draft. But you know, whether it's free agency or the draft, you know, five point two yards per carry with the the ground game, they haven't found a guy that's done consistent pressure there for years. Like they need that piece because it all starts close to the ball, right? And I know there's other you need help at all three levels, but give me the guy closest to the football at the snap. To, to kind of get this thing going in the right direction. Yeah, no, you know, Bugs and Benito Jones combining for 70 snaps every game probably isn't great. So definitely agree with you there. I think Bugs had a good season, but definitely an upgrade there where they probably had Levi L penciled in their minds and it's just kind of not there anymore. And who the heck knows, who knows? what's going to happen there exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it's two spots for me. It's like you probably need two cornerbacks who can play and you need a kind of a guy who can eat some reps on the inside of the defense. I mean, on the interior defensive line, I mean, it's really like that. Amani's gone. Will Harris was probably your best cornerback this season. That dude was playing some of the worst safety ball in the league a year and a half ago. Like Okuda, I like where it's heading. He definitely need to see a lot more. <laughs> Jerry Jacobs is my type of dude for sure, but it's like that room really needs some help. They really they really need somebody for the inside nickel spot for sure. And, and then you're talking, I mean, they, they just need two cornerbacks and an interior de- defensive lineman are at the top of the board above all else for me right now. Short-term, medium-term, long-term. <laughs> I'm not even sure Okuda's like a corner long-term. Yeah. I mean, he looks so good in that Dallas game where he's playing closer to the box. So. We've had box safety talks before between us. I just don't know if he's down with it. Uh, based I mean, on training camp, but I can't imagine he is. Didn't like it at all. But I, yeah, I mean, I get what Justin's saying. Like, if you can get like a dominant three-tuck in there, I think it's always going to be able to help you in, in different areas. It's going to help your linebackers. You can get a, a pass rusher type in there. It's going to help your your secondary, give the quarterbacks this time to throw. So I get it. 
I think that's what Matty Berflus with the Bears has said. Like, that's the piece that makes the defense go. I'm sure a guy like Jalen Carter can make a lot of defenses yeah. go. So you can blame the Raiders for collapsing against the Rams. <laughs> <laughs> that one. But at the same time, like, I just look at the corners and he, like I mentioned with Jeff, like he was, I still know the full story there at the end of the season, like just getting yeah. banned. I know he was yeah. out the last game, but he was kind of bad. He was losing playing time there at the end. They had him on as a gunner. That was, that was interesting. Yeah. Jerry Jacobs, I think he can be a really good, like, number three corner. Yeah. And I love his mentality. I love the dog in him, you know, yeah. but he's all, he, he's pretty hands. I think he got like seven penalties in like 11 games, something like that. So if you can get a chance to get a, a cornerback with one of those picks, either six or when he has a mighty head in one game, <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> My God, yeah. That's right. If you can get a corner, like I'm not against them getting a corner in the first and then come back with a corner in the third or second. Like I'm not against it at all. So I think they need a lot of help, especially with Aaron Glenn, the way he likes to play defense. He wants those man press, press in cup corners. Like. In the Dolphins game, they just didn't do that. That was part of the game plan. They just didn't press the line of scrimmage. And maybe that caused Aubrey Pleasant his job. But, like, they need to get some people that can do that, that can be able to play that style. Because Aaron Glenn likes to leave his corners on an island sometimes. And if you can't do that, you're going to get burned. So I think that would be, I guess, structurally, like, a better fit than get a couple of those guys in here. I have a draft question. Mm. So, as we know, often, except for last year, which bucked the trend, but, like, quarterbacks tend to get inflated out of the draft, right? The Lions are drafted six. We know there are three quarterbacks that are being mentioned in that top group, right? Lena Stroud and, and Young. If if those guys all climb into that top five mix and, and Carter's sitting there at four or five, is it is it worth giving up an extra asset, one of your, your second round picks I to would, go get I Carter? Would, I would definitely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got the chips too. Is that why you have those chips in the first place? Right. Carter also yeah. sounds pretty darn good. Pretty good. It's the ritual trade value chart, I believe six and 82 is more value than number four. So I, I'm not sure that gets it done. Yeah, especially so like if the Bears are, yeah. let's say the Bears make a trade with the Colts. Yeah, move down to four. If they want more assets, maybe that's a we way. can read about that in the Athletics. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I feel like I read that today. We're good. I would definitely make that. I've, like how many times did we see the line bullied in the in the running game, and and it, and it got better down the stretch, but like it was still not great. We saw the massacre in in Carolina. I mean, they need girth up front. I also think they need a pass rusher. Wait, one more. Like I mean, but. At six or 18, if there's a pass rusher there. Sure. Can you ever have a nine? You can't. And I'm a big fan personally in building up strengths. Like, like I love what the lines have done with their offensive line, even if it came at the expense of maybe fixing some immediate weaknesses along the way. Mm -hmm. Because now you have a, a unit that can impose itself on the other team and opens up everything else, particularly when that strength is in the trench. And you're you're damn close to having that on a defensive line. Like I think you're further along than you think. With uh, Josh Pascal made a bigger difference when he started playing than I was expecting. Hutchinson obviously came on strong. He's one of the best rookies in the league. He might have been their best defensive player this year in Detroit. John Kaminsky was a huge asset. I think he's great. I think all the tea leaves point to him coming back. And there's some good things happening up front. There are also some some weaknesses, particularly if Charles Harris doesn't return, if Romeo Quar doesn't return to form. If you paired Aiden Hutchinson with another high-level elite blue-chip pass rusher with Josh Pascal, with Kaminsky, with Ali McNeil in the middle, I think that you... James Houston, how can I forget? I mean, <laughs> like, I, I just, you open up so many possibilities for defense. And when you have a pass rush that can impose its will, kind of like what the offensive line already does for Detroit, it opens up everything else for everyone else. It makes their job so much easier. It will make your quarterbacks, it will make them look better than what they've been. And it's been not a problem. I think um, the one thing that with the defense, right? Like the coaching staff was definitely trying to to bring the narrative forward. And, and I think there was some fairness to it, like at, 
like week three, it was Alex Anzalone and Ali McNeil and then a bunch of guys that had never really played together. I think we saw continuity issues. So there's, you know, there's some, a need, I think, to retain some continuity this year is why I think like there's value in bringing back Kaminsky and Bugs and Anzalone. I think, you know, unless you can really find a clear upgrade, like I think there's a value in, in bringing back Alex. So, you know, that's, that's one thing I'd like to watch the defense this year is like how much does Holmes stick with his, his strategy or retaining what he knows because that's that's a big theme for him i think it's been a the consistency they've built especially with the culture guys they like it's been a big reason they've been able i think at the end of this year this sum was greater than the parts on defense and i think the consistency probably had a lot to do with that but i think also when you're trying to make that step going from the bottom of the league to i mean competent would be nice something better than that would be even nicer you have to level up personnel wise at some point and so for as good as alex anzalone is which you just brought up justin i mean he's been everything they wanted him to be and i think much more he's been the clubhouse guy they wanted yep. good chemistry he's been the leader on the field where's the green dot savvy i mean you can spot him from seven floors up at ford field no problem you know but he, but he's also balled out in a way that i think We've never seen from him before. That's good stuff. But you can do better in this league than Alex Anzalone. If you want to play better defense, maybe you have to be better than Alex Anzalone. Sure. And so those are the hard questions. I've been saying this for a while. I think they need their Amon Ross St. Brown on defense. And I, I talk about that from a an attitude yeah. perspective, yeah. right? Like he's an assassin, yeah. right? And and like he just got this massive chip on his shoulder and it's always there. He never stops playing with it. But like who's the assassin on defense? Like that's well, not Aiden Hutchinson's personality. That's not, not a Kirby Joseph's personality. Like maybe Jerry Jacobs, but Jerry Jacobs doesn't have the talent I'm yeah, around. Yeah. It's like right. you need, and I think like always I look at it and I see that at a linebacker's fire, yeah. right? Like you, you see a middle linebacker with that, that killer attitude. Like I think those defenses are, are frequently awesome. So you're saying they should trade for Jalen Ramsey every time? Yeah. Michael Parsons, Jalen Ramsey. We're getting a little long in the tooth, getting a little late in the night. So we can wrap this up. When it was a specific question. I'm going to wrap this up with I'm just curious. Okay. So True or false? I want to go all the way around. Okay. I want to hear you guys have to say. True or false? The Detroit Lions will win the NFC North in 2023. Hey, like we all hear the buzz. We all see the buzz and we can understand it. And if all the things play out the way we think they might or could, they obviously can win the North. I, I think that, Colin, you made a good point earlier on, on the the window for competitiveness that exists in the North right now with, uh, you know, what's going to happen with Aaron Rodgers and in and, and Green Bay. Minnesota looked pretty fraudulent this year. They they led the Lions for less than one minute in two games, right? Already. And the Lions are going through the second year of a rebuild. Um, the Chicago is the worst team. Yeah. If they win that game, they're to now against the division. Right. Now against. Right. Right. And it's in the, and it's, and it, that's in year two. So I guess, but at the same time, like we have just seen like the apex of Jared Goff's career. A lot of things went right. Like injuries can happen. Yeah. Anything can happen in this league. So I, I guess as the, as the buzz begins to build around this team and it's not going anywhere, but like this, this hype train is going to leave the station anytime now for, for next year. Will this team win the, the North in 23? I think so. Like you're smiling when you say that. I mean, it's, it's just for like, it's enough momentum going around. It feels like they're they doing the right things. Every drive has gotten better. I see them coming back being better. Next year, I don't see the confidence going down nowhere. You see how they did against division opponents. I'll be shocked if they don't. And I don't think that's everything going right. I think it's just what we're seeing and developing this team. And being Josh coming back, coaching staff. I mean, I just think, I think this team will use better. I think you're banking on everything that worked last year, continuing in 2023, and you're Baking on everything that didn't work, getting right. solved, which right. is easier said than done. 
and you're banking on like minimal regression across the board. So it's easy, easy for us to sit here now and look at the Vikings getting bounced in the first, the Bears where they are, Rodgers doing whatever and say, yeah, of course the Lions are going to win the division. I'm still just kind of hesitant. There's something in the back of my mind. I don't know if that's just me being ingrained of the Lions beating up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> waiting for something to go wrong, but I don't know, man, I'm, I'm kind of 50-50 right now. I just look again, I'll probably lean yes right now, just because I, I trust Brad Holmes and his eye for talent in the draft. I think I'll find the right pieces if they can spend a little more in free agency and maybe get like an upgrade at linebacker and some spots here and there. I think they'll have enough to definitely, I mean, they can already compete with this division as is. They went five and one this year. So I'm, I'm buying into it a little bit more. I'm not fully there, but I'll, I'll lean. Yes, I guess. I'm going true. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say true. I'll say true. And I'm basing that on how they played the division this year. I think the Vikings are what they are. You know, they've got some young pieces on that defense, but I think they're going to be what they're going to be. And it's just really easy to see Green Bay imploding. Like, it feels like it's kind of been waiting on that for two, three years now. And it feels like it is, I don't know. I don't know. I think we've seen what Green Bay is too. They got some young pieces coming up too, but I just think the way the Lions played that division, gosh, it is hard to sit here and say that though, but I will go true. I will go true. And it's going to be kind of a similar season. I feel like though the Vikings, they're not going to win that many close games this year, next year. I feel very confident. 11, saying no. that. 11 like, you know, one, four games. 11, one. one. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Ungodly stuff right there. And I, I don't think the Lions going five and one and trailing for less than a minute in that loss was a fluke. So I will go true. Sure, false. Aaron Rodgers is going to be week one quarterback. Green Bay, false, false. Yeah, I think that that opens up even more. I I was you know cynical on some earlier answers. I I will not be cynical here. I I think this. I will give Kyle some credit on this one correctly. The the narratives are there too, right? Like thirty years since you won the division, the Barry Sanders statue getting unveiled. Like it it just feels like the coronation has already kind of begun for what is happening. And it's, I guess, convoluted as momentum is in sports within a game, even let alone season to season. Like there is a ton of positive momentum in the, in the guise of confidence, right? That that's going on with this roster. And, and I think it's going to port and carry over. There's going to be a swagger about this team that is going to be there. I think from week one, next year and i think it does lead to getting off that c north side first one first one for this franchise i agree with you guys like i think it's true i, I think that don't be good like you don't know what's going to happen in the nfl in the crazy sport i also think them missing yeah. the playoffs like they'll take that into 2023 with them and say look how close we got yeah. we think we could have beaten some of these teams in the playoffs so let's not let's make sure we're not in that position again next year i don't feel like they complacent which is i think that's the big difference with the whole same old lives the past like yeah, we, we had a winning record, but nobody felt like they was placing. You know, I was getting out of the Ron looking out, and he was like, yeah, that's cool, but it's not what we're here to do. We just have a winning record. We're telling you, it's a playoffs. We're trying to change this. And I, I feel like that would be definitely going forward next year. I guess what feels different to me, I mean, this is this was my 10th year covering the team, and I don't remember a time where it felt like the foundation of what they'd built was more solid. Because it's not just like one guy went berserk. I'm not wrong mm-hmm. berserk and carried them to a bunch of wins that carried them to a near postseason berth. It was I'm on route one week. It was Jerry Goss the next. It was Jamal Williams the next. The defense did its thing. And that first win against Green Bay that really like jump-started this whole way streak. They won games in different ways with different units. I mean, that's to me a hallmark of something sustainable. And and it's a young core that's entirely like hopped up going forward. These aren't aging veterans. That 2014 team, which was the best team that I'd covered in Detroit, still the best team that I've covered in Detroit, and that defense was very good. That was a very old team with a lot of bad contracts that were about to get swept away. And even that team wasn't, it didn't feel like the beginning of something, but like the end of something. No. And the Dallas game was the finale. 
this feels like the start of something. It feels entirely different than most teams I've covered in the past. Just has me reflective of like where we were two years ago, right? Hiring a GM that's unknown in a lot of circles. You know, I don't think he was on even a lot of our radars with the list of 10 or 20 candidates we were all throwing out there. You hire a coach that maybe was on the radar, but like kind of a wild card in a lot of ways. And, you know, they hired him separately, Sheila Ford and Sheila Hamp and, and Rod Wood making the decision and they don't have a lot of equity. And, and like, I'm, I'm a believer of like, you let things play out and see how they go. But like, there was a lot of cynicism and it was all valid, right? And, and to see that, like how well that vision and plan has come together is, is pretty impressive. Like it really is like it is a lot of unknowns and unproven's and it just, it's really coalesced in a, in a really unique and impressive way. Colton, this is, you're the one rookie in the beat from this mm -hmm. year. I'm curious what your experience was kind of right in Detroit, especially as it maybe juxtaposes with what you expected. Yeah. I mean, even when I took the job or was in talks to take the job, I was talking to Chris Burke a lot and he was just like, I think they're close. Like it might not be this year, but they're not taking any shortcuts with the way that they're building this thing up. He felt like they had. So, you know, the right people in place to build this thing up. And so for me, it's like, I'm just here to observe and, and kind of learn about what they're doing. And I thought that was really cool to kind of see it kind of take place this, this past year. Like, like Dan Campbell said, you know, we don't finish eight and two without getting, the, you know, one and six first, kind of taking our lumps and learning how to win and like the young players learning how to win. So I think they're well positioned now because of it. I think you have a head coach like Dan Campbell, who's coached under and played under a lot of good coaches. So with the guys they have in place, it makes sense. They've been doing it slowly. They're very intentional about how they're building this up. And I think you're seeing the end result now. And it does feel like the beginning. It does feel like their window is just kind of opening. And for Detroit and the city and the fans that have kind of watched, you know, football teams that didn't really have a plan and, and you know, executives that didn't really have a plan, this feels a little bit different. It doesn't feel fair that these guys didn't have to crawl through the they didn't have to Shawshank Redemption at They just get to pop right into the under cover in the box under the tree. I think we've looked at each other long enough. I appreciate it. Let's just reset it real quick. Justin Rogers from the news. Ben Raven, of course, always from them lives. Alan T from Flyers. Eric Woodier from ESPN. Kyle from Live, of course. Collins, I really appreciate you. Appreciate it. See you in a year. This has been Ben Raven and Kyle Mikey of MLive's Detroit Lions Beat. Thank you for listening to the Dungeon of Doom, an MLive Detroit Lions podcast. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, Google. Like I said, wherever you get them and listen to them, make sure to subscribe to the Dungeon of Doom. Thanks again. Thanks again.